0: UK's national crime agency says over 300 arrests have been made across 38 countries following the takedown of the largest dark web child porn marketplace. Former Congressman Anthony Weiner pleading guilty to a federal obscenity charge, the former congressman admitting he sent obscene material to a minor.
1: Billionaire businessman Jeffrey Epstein was arrested in New York Saturday on federal charges related to sex trafficking.
0: To
2: it was revealed is today the former top aide to Pope Francis was convicted by a court of molesting Steve Carwood. largest classified stand ad stand websites is being accused of knowingly to facilitating that. prostitution and child sex, sex trafficking.
0: Former House Speaker Dennis Hastert has yet to respond publicly to allegations that he paid hush money to keep old sex abuse claims secret. to a Second Valley teacher arrested this week accused of an inappropriate relationship with a student.
1: Hi, my name is Robin Basil, and I'm the host of the Mad Trafficking Report. On today's show, we have a really special guest for you. Her name is Leanna Borsellino swingler and she's the executive producer of the film Another Child. Leanna studied television and film at the Oral Roberts University, where she graduated magna cum laude. And then she went on to study at the Los Angeles Film Study Center, Um, During that time, she interned with Robert Evans. You may recognize his name from the films Godfather 1 and 2 and um, Chinatown. After that, she went to work at Digital Domain, which is an Academy Award winning digital effects company. And then about two years into um, working in their commercial division, um, her grandmother passed away and she went back to Austin, Texas. And that is when this film sort of came to be. Um, the film is really about uh, mother and daughter's journey towards healing and freedom um, from shame of both of them having been sex view sex survivors. And um, I don't want to say too much. I'm going to let her tell the story. And we're going to start with a, um, we going to give you a chance to watch the trailer.
3: can see posting now <sighs> This is my bedroom. Any of it before, and it just kind of blows my mind. Now I wonder do memories get passed from mother to daughter at birth? Raise your hand of those who who have contemplated suicide or even tried.
2: They're too young to understand, so we can all just pretend we don't need to talk about it. What they don't know won't hurt them. Another child. Mm-hmm.
1: Leanna, thank you so much for joining me. I am so blown away by the trailer. When I watched it, I actually got goosebumps. I'm so honored to have you on the show and I wanted to thank John Paul Rice for bringing you on the show. Hey John. <laughs> um, so I think I'd like to first start off with asking you how the film came about and how long you' been um, how long it took to, to, to make it.
3: Back in 2007, I actually moved out to Los Angeles to pursue, pursue a career in filmmaking. And while I was there, I just randomly went to an event where they were fundraising uh, money for an organization called tinystars.org. And I had never even heard of human trafficking up until this point. And they talked about how you can hire ex-KGB agents and, you know, retired Navy SEALs and all that kind of stuff to go undercover and you hire them to rescue children that are being sexually trafficked. And I was just blown away by the numbers that I had heard. And so I went home and I started researching it and I felt compelled then. I was like, man, I got to do a film about this. Uh, But the timing wasn't right. Again, I had just moved out to LA and it just didn't seem to work. I ended up going home in 2010 and my mother and I were going through one of her boxes, which was odd because she had thrown out almost everything from my childhood and she had burned it all in the backyard. I actually remember having this bonfire of destroying everything from our past. And, uh, or from her past really. And so I was just kind of blown away that this box somehow survived and looking in the box, I saw a picture of my mom pregnant with a baby that she never had. There was songs in there that were, it was very clear that she was involved in prostitution and all this other stuff. And so my mom up to this point had never identified as a sex trafficking victim And, you know, after we dug a little bit more coming to find out that my mother had been deeply involved in prostitution while she was still a minor, uh, it just kind of floored her because suddenly this label that she had always given herself of someone who had chosen this lifestyle for herself, she labeled herself as a prostitute. She labeled herself as a whore, as a slut. Uh, Suddenly she there was like this freedom that came over her realizing that she was actually a victim and that someone had exploited her. And so I realized then that that the story that I wanted with a survivor was right there. And so I sat down with a flip phone. I'd say the interview was definitely very choppy, but it was very insightful. And I decided that I wanted to do a film about human trafficking. And then about four years into the process of making the film, it, became clear to me that I couldn't really honestly tell my mom's story without also telling my story and so it just kind of merged together and it turned more so into this mother-daughter journey uh, and story from my perspective and point of view of getting to learn more about her and who she was and where she came from and how that affected me in my life especially since I'm a survivor of chronic childhood sexual abuse and Up until that point, I honestly was very bitter towards my mom. I had a lot of judgments towards her, a lot of anger and resentment. I did not get along well with her. And so it was very healing for us in our relationship as I was able to suddenly understand some of her triggers. Uh, A great example of this is when I was a senior in high school or junior or senior in high school, my brother and I put together our money to buy my mom this very expensive dress for Mother's Day. We knew that she wanted it, but it was several hundred dollars. And as high school students, we didn't make that much. I think I was making like five something an hour. And um, we saved up the money, we bought her the dress. And she ended up, she loved it when she opened the present. And since it was Mother's Day, we ended up going to church. And one of her friends came up to her and told her that she looked sexy and her dress. My mother went ghostly white and said she wanted to leave and go home right then and there. Uh, we left. She never wore the dress ever again. And from my point of view, I was extremely offended because I had worked so hard to put all this money into buying her a dress. And I could not understand why someone who would just say, Hey, you look sexy. Yeah. Lose it. And so Did I didn't understand. Her? Did you? Well, no, like there was no explanation. And so, but by doing this film, suddenly I'm becoming more aware of that's why she was triggered that way. It really wasn't something for me to be offended about as much as it caused something from her past to surface. And it was and put her in a place that made her feel very uncomfortable. And she was reliving a type of trauma. And once I realized that she was being traumatized by that, I suddenly, all these years of being offended of, man, I really worked my butt off to get her the stress. I was like, I didn't even, it wasn't even an offense anymore. Like, I didn't even need her to say that she was sorry. Like it, there was, it wasn't even necessary. So, and that's just one example of many that I suddenly had this realization of, oh my gosh, I do forgive you. And. Like, you don't even need to ask me for forgiveness because I, I see you. I see the pain that you went through. I see you as that child.
1: And I, for myself, I'm sorry that I took offense to it. So, so when you sat down with your mom that first night and all of this came out, how, how many hours did you spend talking and how exactly, I mean, how would you describe it? It was insightful, honestly. It was only three hours, and
3: the reason why I cut it short is because I wanted her to reveal things to me on camera, on screen. So, I saw this song that she wrote about uh, this baby that she lost, and I didn't want her to sing it to me because she lost the baby. She was being prostituted at a truck stop and while she was pregnant. And she wrote this song about this baby that she ended up losing. And so I was like, you know what, instead of you singing it to me here, how about we go to a truck stop in Houston? Cause that's where she was being trafficked, was in Houston. And so I was like, we're gonna go to Houston. We're gonna go to a truck stop. I know you haven't sang this song in over 30 years. We're gonna bring your guitar and you're gonna sing it to me. And I'm going to see you in this place. And so that's kind of what we did. We let her music take us on this journey. And you said it took seven years the journey. Six years filming, uh, another year in post, and now we're in the eighth year with um, hopefully finding
1: distribution and going to festivals. Okay, so the first your first stop on that journey, the first place that you visited was it that truck stop? No, uh, we also. So my mother, she was a
3: a runaway. She ran away from home when she was. 15 years old and she joined a carnival. My mother was born and raised in Indiana and she left to get out of that town because there was a lot of horrible things that were going on there. She was involved in the drug scene and in prostitution there and she wanted to escape. So she joined the carnival and she actually became a gorilla girl, which if you know what that is, they, have a, a girl that's in a bikini. My mother was about 90 pounds back then. She was five, six, 90 pounds, very skinny. And she would be standing in a bikini and they would use these trick mirrors with another person in a gorilla suit. And as they would move the mirrors and look like hair was growing all over her body. And so this was, was the performance that she did at the carnival. Uh, And when the carnival got out, it ended in Florida, and she met a girl there who had a sugar daddy, and he invited my mom, or this girl invited my mom to go with her to Disney World, and my mom wanted to go to Disney World. How old was she at that time? She was 16. Okay. So it was her first opportunity to go to Disney World, They go to Disney World, have a wonderful time, come to find out this man is a Florida senator. And he told my mom that she had to pay him back in some way for
1: hosting her to go to Disney World. Wow. Are you not, do you ever in the film reveal who that is or do you not do that for legal reasons? Yeah. He passed away. Okay, Um, okay.
3: It's it's just part of her story, and this is her journey, and I don't feel that it serves any purpose to name. Right. I mean,
1: most people who are passionate about trafficking or know about it, they know that this is very. There's a lot of politics involved, like from both sides of the aisle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The other thing is, is
1: at this point, I feel like there's so many
3: people that are involved that naming someone who's already passed away is, it doesn't serve much of a purpose. I mean, if you know, then you know. Right. And I've interviewed a former pimp from Austin, and he, you know, confirmed with me that he used to sneak girls into the back of the Capitol, and like, he took them there all the time. And so, if people think that it's not going on... Politically, left or right, I mean, you have got to be blind.
1: Do you you think that your mom felt vulnerable during the process of this filming? Oh, for sure. I mean,
3: we go to a hotel that she was trafficked out of, and it brought up a lot of emotions for her, and she had memories surface that she didn't even realize were there until we were in the room. And it is very difficult. I feel like my mother's a lot more open to talking to strangers about what happened to her than her daughter. And so her talking to me about having sex with a lot of different men is a very uncomfortable topic for her in front of cameras. And so it was, it definitely caused a lot of emotion in this scene uh, to surface for her. So yes, it was very difficult. My mother Even the song about the baby that she lost in her lyrics, uh, part of the lyrics are, I feel that I've killed you, you know, she felt responsible for the death of the baby.
1: So she would have kept that baby if the baby had lived, huh? Wow.
3: Um, She lost the baby at about four and a half, five months, and she thought that that baby was going to be her ticket out, and that was not the case. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. So when that emotion was coming up for her during the filming, um, did you suggest or did she feel the need to start therapy? Because I would have, I would think she would have needed some, someone there. She,
3: during the filming, no, we didn't really do that. But, um, I mean, we both have our types of therapy, I suppose you could say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Together and apart. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think
3: the film itself is a form of therapy for us together apart. Yes, we I I have a therapist that I go see. And I've been meeting with him for six years now. And uh, I don't plan on stopping. I haven't seen him much recently because of COVID. But I think he's a wonderful therapist. It took me a long time to find a therapist that I felt comfortable with. And I finally found that. And oddly enough, it's a male.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing. They say if your issues are with men, then it's better to have a therapist that you can trust that's a male, right? Um no. Okay. So you're making this film with your mom. And then at some point, going through her journey, your, your um, feelings about your past come, in to, come out into play. And then you have decided to make it a film about mom and daughter. So I'd love you to share that.
3: Yeah. So I just, I got to a point to where, and honestly, my writer, Bob Nemack, he was the one that convinced me to let my story um, go into the film. He felt very passionately that we couldn't be fully transparent and honest about what happened to my mom if we don't also explain what happened with me. And so it, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster for me at first because I was trying to put on the cap of Leanna, the filmmaker, and look obje- objectively at these scenes, but they were scenes about me and my abuse and my mom's abuse, and so there was a lot of times that I felt like I had to step back because I couldn't even trust my own judgment over what I was watching. And so, and I have never experienced that with anything else I've created. So <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. yeah. So there was that process and sometimes I would get sent something and I would have to digest it and watch it and step away and try to separate myself from the emotions of it and see if I could even do that. And it was just, it was difficult. There were times where I would watch scenes and at first I kind of was a little bit more careful with how I said things that happened to me. And then I was actually talking to one of my best friends and she told me that she wanted me to make her uncomfortable. She said that if I was uncomfortable, then the in order for the audience to understand, I need to make them uncomfortable too. That is so, so true. Yeah. And so I really appreciated her advice for that because when I was telling my story, she still didn't fully understand what happened to me. And so I was like, whoa, no, when I said this, this means this. And she goes, well, then spell it out for me because people don't want to imagine that unless they're t-
1: yeah yeah people need to really look at this head on we can't we had we don't have time to mess around anymore with you know making everything so pleasant and easy to digest like it's just it it is what it is and we need to really deal with this stuff or we're gonna have a big problem if we keep pushing under the under the rug under the carpet as they say so when you're when you were talking to your mom or when the stuff was coming up about your your history i which i don't know if you wanted to get into that a little bit but um my big question is, how did that make your mom feel? And were there things that came up during the filming process that your mom was not aware of while you were on film? So were her were her reactions to your stories about what you dealt with as a child authentically surprised, or was she already aware of it?
3: She So my story, so I was sexually abused chronically from the age of three until I was 10 years old. When I was six, I did come forward and try to tell my parents what had happened to me. And it was met with uh, not, not a very positive response. My mother tried to kill herself. And I have a memory of her on a gurney being rolled out of the house, put into the ambulance. Like, I still remember this. And... I even remember it to the point of my first tooth was loose and I ended up losing my tooth that night at the neighbor's house. I didn't even lose it at home with my with my family because my mom and my dad were at the hospital. So and then she wasn't home and she attempted several she made several more attempts of suicide over the course of a few years. It definitely wasn't all healthy at that yeah. time. I would say that everything started to shift when I was 10 years old. My mother um, did come out about her being abused by her father and some other things. And so once I heard my mom start talking about that, uh, however, she used some softer language with me because I am her daughter. So I wasn't fully aware of the extent of that, but I felt like maybe it could be safe for me to say something again. And so I did. And this time my parents took it to court and we ended up winning
1: in court. This has been a real healing process for all of you. Hence that photo that you have as the thing of your, the grandma and your mom and you, and then your daughter, it's just so powerful to look at that. Um, and I know that you have talked about, family, um, generational, um, and I guess what do they call it? Like a family, um, karma, so to speak, like that energy or that past is handed down generation after generation. Um, Yeah.
3: It's almost like a familiar spirit or something in your DNA that gets passed on. I don't even know how to explain it fully. Um, but so just to retract real quick to your previous question, we do end up going back to the house that I was, mostly abused him. And uh, we go back to the place where I was harmed. And my mother did not know that about me, like where it happened.
1: And so that is caught on film as well. Oh, gosh, it's emotional enough to go back to your childhood home anyway. I mean, Mm -hmm. whether your memories are good or bad, because I've done that. So I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Like, how it did you was, get permission to enter that house? And how, why was it empty? Yeah, it had gone into
3: foreclosure. And so uh, I will just say to watch the
1: film, but we did not break into the house. Um, but we did get into the house. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. That, it's almost as if the house had some karma, some bad karma. It was... Amazing. We walked in there and there was like mattresses
3: all over the floor and little kids' toys. And it oh my was, gosh. It, it was almost like a manifestation of what had happened in that home. And what's really heartbreaking is my dad built that house. So
1: He built it like he was in construction?
3: Well, he, my father, I wouldn't say he's in construction, but my father is a jack of all trades and He's a handyman and he built that house with my grandfather, my paternal grandfather. And so um, there was, well, there's definitely a lot of emotion and connection to that home for several reasons.
1: So wow. that must've been a very, very powerful scene. Um, I want to touch on the realization that your mom made during the making of this film about prostitution and how she viewed herself, because I think that's an important message for, um, for for people, for men and for women, for women who have been in the sex industry and have a lot of shame that they carry, and even if they're no longer in the industry, um, they carry that through their lives, that they had done this bad thing and that made them a bad person and prostitution's bad and I'm a prostitute. And then, of course, you've got the Johns, the people that um, use their services that look at them as bad and dirty and just something to be used and paid for And I saw um, a video that you had shared on your Facebook page. Um, What is the woman's name? Norma Ramos. Yes. And I saw that you also used a quote about prostitution, about the word prostitute. And that just really resonated with me. Um, So I really wanted to talk about that because that must have been very healing for your mom, like you had said, when she realized that it was something that had been done to her. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. So Norma Ramos, what she said to me, and this is just, you know, part of the journey of growing and um, realizing even to change terminology and to be careful about the words that we say. This particular class of victims, those who have been commercially sexually
1: exploited, are the most stigmatized among us. And one of the most important things we can do to help women and children who have been abused in this way
3: is to no longer call them that which has been done to them. So I use the term
1: prostituted woman, prostituted girl, prostituted child, or women and children in prostitution. I never call a woman or child that which has been done to them.
3: A person that's been raped, we don't call them rape. They've been raped. A person's been prostituted. We should not identify them as a prostitute. And so once we're able to separate that, a lot of healing comes from people who maybe have used that word or that label to describe themselves. They're the most stigmatized. Uh, there's a lot of terms that are used simply to, that cause a lot of harm. For instance, uh, women that are, are in prostitution in the truck industry, I don't know if you know what the term is for that, but they're dehumanized, and the term for that type of prostitution is a lot lizard. So they they call them lizards you know they're you know that yeah so that's you know one of the terms and actually if you go to truck stops you might even see people that'll have um you know decals and stickers that say no no not, no lot lizards for this truck or you know whichever but so they're not even identified as human there and that's horrific Or you can think of any other term that's used to describe women. I mean, you got slut and whore and so on and so
1: forth. So
3: the list goes on.
1: Yeah. And the thing is that a lot of people, a lot of underage children that are being trafficked have been referred to as prostitutes, which really gets me just so angry when I hear that. Um, Right. There is no such thing as
3: a child prostitute. No such thing. That needs to stop now. Uh, just to touch quickly on labels. So something that I always find interesting is, you know, my mother, she she was abused from a young age by her father. And he told her who she was. He gave her the identity of someone that brought pleasure to men. He took her to the Masonic Temple and would put her on this altar And men would do very sexual things to her on this altar as a sacrifice. And she was told that that's what she was created for. Mm -hmm. So throughout her childhood, she had people constantly speaking to her, into her value and telling her what her worth was. And that worth was being created for men's pleasure. So it was very easy for her to accept this idea that she was a prostitute as a 16 year old girl. So, um, and even prior to that, uh, being a slut and a whore and well, this is, this is just what I was made for. So it's easy to attach yourself to someone, if you're a trafficker or a pimp, to convince them to work for you if they already believe that that's what they were made for. And then also, a lot of times these girls don't know how to deal with all the trauma that their body is going through. So there's a false sense of empowerment by making themselves believe that they're even choosing it for themselves. Because you're out of control if you even could possibly fathom that someone else has chosen this for you. So while you believe this about yourself, you start to choose to believe it for yourself. So no one has to convince you. So that way you're able to accept the horrors that you have to deal with day in and day out. I actually even had uh, an interview with uh, a pimp in Austin and he worked at strip clubs and he said, I asked him if there was any girls there that weren't trafficked, that just, just stripped. And he said that he had only out of all of the girls that he had worked with almost every single one of them would come to that strip club and say that they weren't going to be involved in prostitution. And he said within a week or two with the things and the services and the acts that they would do for the men, they would want a way to cope with what they were doing. So the, they would give them alcohol Well, the alcohol would make them sloppy. So the next thing is drugs. So then they would start facilitating drugs to them. And then suddenly they need to re- like they want more, but they have to buy it. Well, now you got to sell yourself if you want more drugs. And he said, and it happened every single time like that. He only saw one girl out of the years and the years and the years that he worked as a, a pimp in this industry. Uh, one girl, he said, did not fall victim to that lifestyle. And every other girl would come in and they would say, they would swear by, it, I'm not going to do this. And he said, within a couple of weeks, every single one.
1: And what was his criteria for how he recruited
3: these girls? Well, this pimp, he he didn't need to recruit them because they would come to the strip club. So he would be there watching and waiting for them
1: to want their drug supply. So there's another one, right? There's another one, I heard you, yeah. Can okay, you so that?
3: the other story is a different pimp. He said that he would go to the shopping mall and he would approach a girl that was by herself and he would go up to her and tell her that she looked beautiful. And if she would smile back at him and say, thank you, then he would just keep walking. He knew that that wasn't the girl for him. But if he walked up to a girl and he told her that she was beautiful and she would look down as though she didn't really believe it. And she's like, Oh no, you know, and be shy about it. He knew that he had her hook line and sinker and that was his next product. And he
1: would pursue that girl so and that's how he got his kids so and this is how i've been trying to warn friends of mine who have teenagers as daughters about that about the malls because they go there all the time and i know um one of my friends daughters in particular her i can i can just tell i could tell she would be one of those easy marks Whereas the other daughter is far more confident. She would be the one that they would leave alone. And mm-hmm. I, was, so I worry about this because I think I know that here where I live in Charlotte, it's a really bad problem. The traffic came I and it's everywhere, but that that's how many, how many pimps did you interview during that process?
3: Myself? I've had interviews with three. So, and all of these are former pimps. One, he got out because he ended up having daughters of his own. And he realized the way that he was even looking at women. And he didn't want that for his own girls. Gosh, that is a film in and of itself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually good friends with him. So wow, I, I, I,
1: that's crazy.
3: I identity, But he is an incredible man. I, have a, I personally
1: have a lot of respect for him. So can I ask you if all three of the men are African-American or what are their backgrounds? Because a lot of people have a stereotype in their mind when they think of pimps. Uh, One is African-American and the other two are not. You see? So people need to kind of shake that one too, because that is not what we're dealing with. We've got young, handsome, like a lot of them are foreign, but even guys that go to high school, yeah. And you know, that is a stereotype
3: that I think is very unhealthy to just assume that all yeah. you know, African American men are in this. I mean, yes, it does happen, but that's not, if that's all we're looking for, then we're totally going to miss it.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I really were hoping that we can convey to people is like that. It's like, it's, it's next door to you even like, I don't even, I, I, with everything that I know, and I'm sure you go through the same thing, I'm, uh, and especially as a mom with a daughter, mm-hmm. um, there is not a day that doesn't go by where if I even go to like the grocery store with her, I am so hypersensitive about how men in the store are looking at her. And in my mind, they're all pedophiles. <laughs> 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 and I mean, and, and but I'm kind of thinking we sort of need to think that way to keep our kids safe because they are Everywhere and in my community like I like even though you can go online and you can look to see who's in your area That's on the registry. There are plenty of them that have never been arrested. So I can't you know, it's just
3: Personally for myself. I have much less issue with traffickers and pimps than I do with buyers I think they're the heart of the problem And the way that our country responds to men that feel that they have the right to have access to other people's bodies is really where the heart of all of this goes. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the Nordic model, but I'm a strong believer in the Nordic model. I absolutely support it. And I would love to see something like that implemented here in the United States. So I know that... that? Can you share yeah. So it, the Nordic model back in the early 2000s, it was implemented that it is illegal for women to be sold for prostitution. and But it's not illegal to sell yourself. So if I were in prostitution, I could sell myself. But if the buyer would get in trouble, so let's pretend there's like a, a sting operation or something. The... Police officers would arrive, they would arrest the John or a trafficker, and the woman, they would go up to her and say, hey, if you don't wanna be in this profession, there are resources that are set aside for you. What do you wanna become? And then they would put her into those programs and help her move past it into anything else that she could possibly want. And on top of that, the Johns, or the buyers. They um, will, you know, have sex offender put on their record, they'll get a notice sent to all of their neighbors that they were caught buying sex from a human, they uh, will get their car impounded, I mean, they do not just get a slap on the wrist there, it is I'm a very fine. serious crime to buy another human being for, for any reason. I love and, it, I love it. Yeah, so what's really amazing is I think about five countries now have, have adopted this model because trafficking has do- gone down over 80% in these countries because traffickers don't want to be there. Let's do
1: it. Let's do this. How can we get this legislation passed in the United
3: States? So I think we're working on it, but it's, you know there's just a lot that goes through that process. But I'm in full support of it. No model is perfect, but I think it's the closest thing that we have out there right now. And I'm definitely passionate about it. I also I think it's incredible because what it does is it puts the responsibility back on the buyer.
1: Yes. It, like it's even with Pornhub, like in what Layla's doing at Exodus Cry, I mean like that stuff that's going on in Pornhub would not be allowed to happen if there were not sick pedophiles out there downloading this crap and encouraging it.
0: Pornhub is the largest and most popular porn site in the world. Owned by the mega porn parent company MindGeek, Pornhub averages 42 billion visits per year. That's 115 million visits every day. Most of the content featured on this site is user generated, amassing 6 million new videos each year. That would take 169 years to watch. Pornhub has become the global epicenter of internet pornography. The company makes hundreds of millions of dollars through ad revenue, data collection and premium subscriptions. And it's blatantly enabling and profiting from rape, sexual abuse, and child sex trafficking. Like the missing 15-year-old girl who was found after 58 videos of her rape were posted on Pornhub. Or Rose Kalemba, the 14-year-old, who the BBC reported was kidnapped at knife point, raped and assaulted on camera for 12 hours, and had to beg Pornhub for months and threaten legal action to remove the videos of her rape and torture. Or the images of a toddler being sexually abused, found through an investigation by the Sunday Times. Or the 22 women who were deceived and coerced by the producers of Girls Do Porn, a popular Pornhub partner channel whose owners now face a federal indictment for child pornography, sex trafficking of a minor, sex trafficking, and sexual abuse. These examples only begin to scratch the surface of the sexual crimes found on Pornhub. According to the Internet Watch Foundation, in only two years, they processed and confirmed 118 cases of child rape and trafficking on Pornhub. These aren't models or actresses playing a role in a movie. These are real videos of women and children being sexually abused, violated, and traumatized. And Pornhub is deeply complicit. They have no system to reliably verify the age or consent of anyone featured in their videos it profits from. The largest porn site in the world makes it insanely easy for users to upload videos of real sexual violence. And in doing so, they forever memorialize the trauma of their victims, or for the profit and pleasure of Pornhub and its users. It's time to shut down Pornhub and hold them accountable for the rape, trafficking, and sexual abuse that they enable and profit from. Share this video and sign the petition at traffickinghub.com.
2: It's
3: yeah. Up. So it's all about supply and demand.
1: There there wouldn't be traffickers if there was no demand. It is American men that are going to these foreign countries, and this just needs to stop. They're the ones that are allowing this.
3: Americans are the number one buyer worldwide. So if you think, oh, well, it sounds bad in America, but wow, it really sounds bad in the Philippines. Well, guess who the number one buyer in the Philippines are? It's not Filipinos. It's still Americans.
1: Yeah, yeah. It needs to stop is a real issue. This is what's so sad though, is that a lot of these men would not normally have ended up on this path. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you're a heroin addict and you are able to literally turn your computer on and get high, can you imagine how hard it is to, to resist that? And so I'm just wondering, I mean, it goes against everything I believe as a libertarian, but, but as a human being, I would love nothing more than to have them take down porn from the internet. Of course they'll just go underground with it. Well, even, you know, speaking to feminists, there is not now,
3: never has been, and never will be a feminist movement, in my opinion, for men to commercialize the bodies of women. So and I think that's very important. Uh have you read Paid For by Rachel Moran? No. I would highly recommend that book. That quote comes from her and she is a survivor from Ireland and she is phenomenal.
1: So I will definitely
3: check that out. I'll be here someday. I maybe never will, but I'll
1: promote her book until the day I die. <laughs> I will be, I'm going to leave a link to the, a link in the description to that book and um, I'll write that down after. Uh, so there's one there. oh,
3: oh, so something else about the Nordic model that I wanted yes.
1: to quickly. So,
3: we have actually created, in Waco, we have a John School and, you know, that the government's kind of testing out policies of the Nordic model, but something else is, I will say that the sex industry, especially here in America, has created so that the majority of Americans believe it is our fundamental right to have access to other people's bodies, be it through prostitution or pornography or whatever.
1: Well, as long as they're willing like, right? And, right. A lot of people are going to say, well, she you wants to. Really
3: but that's the problem is you can never, ever be a hundred percent certain that that girl or that woman is there of her own free will. Right. And if she is there of her own free will, did she start while she was an adult or did she start when she was a child? And so what happens is a lot of these men that get arrested, um, they're, it's kind of like, uh, a, a speeding ticket. You can go to driver's add and get it off your record the first time. You don't have to be a sex offender the first time. You can go to a school they teach you about trafficking. And essentially you go to these classes, you have survivors come and talk to them. And most men don't actually want to be driving this demand. So once they realize what they're doing by this, their need that they've been told and lied to by uh, the sex industry, by are you know just society culture? However, yeah. Once they realize the truth of the matter, the majority of them are not repeat offenders. Like they stop, and so and that is also very profound. So uh, in Norway, the men that were born in the early 2000s are now they're adults, right? They would never. The language they are so different. You would never be in a bar or in a club bragging to your guy friends about how you got so-and-so woman to sleep with you or you paid for sex or this or that if you did that there in those countries these you know again yeah yeah yeah. nowadays these men if you brag about something like that they would look at you and say what is wrong with you like that's not cool that's that's, yeah you don't get a pat on the back for that
1: I had no idea <laughs> about this. I'm so glad you told me about it. Yes. Uh, and I wish that we would, I, I'm glad to hear that we're adopting this model little by little. Like you said, this place is in Texas? Uh,
3: Waco. So okay. Waco is... all oh,
1: places. <laughs> Waco. Um, the
3: most famous thing that they're know, known for right now is Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines. So if you ever seen that show on HGTV, No, no. Okay, well, they're from that town, so that's what Waco's really known for. Also, Baylor University is there. Yeah. But they implemented a John School, and I've spoken to one of the agents that runs the John School, and it's, she sent me the curriculum. It's incredible. So I got to read the curriculum and see what they teach these men. And I believe since the last time I spoke to her, I'm not sure if these numbers are still correct, but since the last time we spoke – they had only had a small fraction of repeat offenders. I think it was less than 10%. So
1: So is this the only place in the United States doing this right now?
3: I believe Portland also has a John school.
1: Okay, I would hope so, because Portland is really bad with the the trafficking. I really want to continue to do, um, pay to focus on what we're talking about. And I think it's really important for men to hear this and they'll probably need to hear it a few times before they actually get it. Sorry, men, I'm not trying to say that you're unintelligent, but I think um, it is at the heart of everything right now. It's the Johns, it's the men that are giving them the business, but they need to understand these girls are sexually abused, many of them raped when they were younger. And like your mom, the same situation that she um, really was raised, groomed to be in that industry. And not ever made to believe that she could do better be better and we need to work on that too and that's another problem we do not have enough fathers good role models in this country what is happening to our our fathers we need more good role models for our daughters for even for our sons especially for our sons
3: Mm Absolutely. You know, something that I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jenna Jameson, who's one of the most famous and notorious porn stars of all time, that before she could have been used as an argument. Well, what about her? Well, now she's come out as a sex trafficking victim. The victim after all these years. Her. And people have still have to be told that people they are like, can't people will not accept this. They will not it's have a calling. it. appalling. They they're yes, not letting Yes, I know. Yeah. So when it comes straight from you. your mouth and you say, Yes, I made all these videos, but I started when I was 16 years old. I was groomed into this. I am a sex trafficking victim and one of the most famous of all. And if, if it happened to me, who is used as an example of when it's right in porn, you can never, ever know if a girl is there of her own free will. And therefore, it does absolutely fuel the demand. Uh, I think, what, it's a $32 billion industry. Where are these girls coming from to fulfill this demand, this outrageous demand to fulfill this sexual appetite that we're told that we as humans have a right to the access to
1: others, people's
3: bodies? Yeah,
1: yeah. And you know what else is infuriating to me? These girls that actually sign up and they go into the porn industry and they need the money for whatever reason, right? And they get on the set and they're, raped and abused and and then these and then people say how is it possible you can say you were raped you signed up for it that's what you wanted no that's not what she wanted she signed up to have a sex act not to be raped and abused and a lot of these girls like try to tell their stories and no one will have it and and some of them have gone on to commit suicide it's just so tragic um yeah it's it's uh i don't know but i It
3: is infuriating. I know a a young girl who was a survivor of child porn and um, her videos are out there. She is of age now, but yeah, out there forever. And yeah, thousands, thousands of thousands of men have enjoyed her videos of rape.
1: How are your friends dealing with your journey, your film, any of the news that you might have shared with them over the years about what happened to you as a child? What have you experienced from your friends and actually and your family?
3: Um, Well, growing up, I didn't have that many friends. (laughs) I mean, I did have friends. I actually had more guy friends than girlfriends. So growing up, I was more of a tomboy and I didn't really relate to females that much. I didn't start wearing dresses unless I was forced to until college. And I didn't
1: know how to wear makeup until... Let's talk about that. Actually, let's talk about that first. Your feelings about yourself as a girl and how you you just weren't comfortable with it and why.
3: So when I was younger, I'd say about the age of six, I felt, and I didn't really understand, I guess, my perception that well. But from what I saw, I thought that, boys and men had it much easier in life than women. And I hated that I was female. I despised it. And not only that, but my only image of what a woman was supposed to be, was my mom. And my mom was suicidal and, you know, an alcoholic. And so that wasn't very appealing to me. And so on the flip side, I have a father who, by the way, is a wonderful father. And I wanted to do as much as I could with my dad and my brother as possible. So I wanted to be like my brother and I wanted to be like my dad. And so I was just very, I guess, sad over the fact that I was female. And I did, would get forced sometimes, you know, to wear dresses and whatnot during holidays and stuff like that. But for the most part, I was a super tomboy. So. uh, But, but because of that, in school, I struggled with making friends with girls because I just didn't relate to them as much. And I preferred being friends with guys. And also, I felt safer um, being friends with, with men. Uh, I felt like if I could get in, you know, like camaraderie type of stuff, it was a more comfortable, safe space for me. So
1: That's and, so interesting because some people may think, well, how is it possible that she would have trusted boys or guys based on what had happened to you. But I understand exactly what you're saying. Like yeah. you, you kind of want to, you want to have your posse of guys to kind of protect you from, from the ones that you can't be protected from.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, yeah. yeah. So I'm not a man hater at all. I, I love guys and men. And I know a lot of really great um, men that I've grown up with that are awesome fathers. And I, you know, speak highly of them. So I, I would say, but I do owe a lot of that to my dad. My father created an image for me that even though I was at the hands of someone that I couldn't trust, I still had a father figure of someone that I could trust. And I think that a lot of what allowed me to heal, you know, and while it was a little bit of a roller coaster, but an upward one, um,
1: I think he had a lot to do with that you had mentioned that when you first told you, was it just your mom that you tried to tell or was it your mom and your dad the first time you tried to tell them? It
3: was my mom. I did not want to talk to my dad about that.
1: <laughs> okay, so you told your mom, nothing happened. Then years later, you told her again and then she tried to commit her suicide? Or was no, it no, the, the first, first time you told her. her. Okay. Um, yeah. When your father, When she tried to kill herself, did he understand why she did that? Did
3: he know- oh. No, they knew that something had happened, and I actually started going to therapy back then, Uh, but they didn't ask the right questions, and I was put on medication for having, um, I was put on antidepressants at the age of six, and I was given ADHD medication, and that without realizing that the symptoms that I was having was a byproduct of what had happened to me.
1: Right, and I just gotta wonder, like, how did your dad deal with it when years later he found out what had actually happened?
3: Yep. Did he
1: have feelings of? And I'm not trying to say that he should, because gosh, that's just so hard. You know, he he didn't know what he was dealing with, but now it must be very hard when he it must have been very hard for him to come to terms with this.
3: Yeah, he told me that he was thankful that we had moved to Texas because when he found out, his first gut reaction is he wanted to kill the person that had harmed me. Yeah. And he said that if he had done that and followed through, then he'd probably be in prison and he would not
1: be yeah.
3: able to as a father.
1: And so this, that's a message this film has that if it, if you can do the work and get through the healing before you have a child, very important to do that work, right? Because otherwise you pass it down and the chain and the, and the, It's like that chain that keeps going.
3: Absolutely. And well, not only that, but be transparent about what happened to you with your children. Because you know what? Your kids are going to learn about sex with or without your consent. And wouldn't you want to be the one to teach them properly? Like, hey, this is, what happens happened in our feelings is what happened to me and I don't want this future for you before someone else decides to start teaching
1: them about it. One thing that you just made me realize is um or reminded me of is when my, my son had gone to school and some kids were talking about rape and he's only 12 he came home and he said mom what's rape and I explained it to him you know and he asked me straight point blank mom have you ever been raped and it was the, in that moment as a parent where I had to make the decision of transparency or trying to protect him from the truth. And I chose transparency. And of course, I didn't get into too much detail. And um, I told some friends about it and they were horrified. How could you tell him that? I, I know to this day that I did the right thing. And I'll continue to have to. And anytime I told him, if you have any questions, anytime you want to come to me, I'm happy to talk to you, you know? Yeah. You know, we don't want them getting these ideas from other people that are not correct, right? Because God forbid another boy told him, "Oh, it's when girls, you know, when you force, you know, then they're forced to have sex, but that they really want it." And then my son grows up with that idea in his head. Well, oh, if a girl says no, it means yes, right?
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I
3: I commend you for doing that. So I know that's a difficult conversation to have and. That's awesome, because yeah, you're you're raising your son to treat women the right way.
1: So. I'm trying, and I know you're a mom too. So how has okay? So I get him all over the place, but how has the you've got a son too, right? You have a I, son,
3: well, yes, but he's he's young.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't think he's ready for that conversation. Okay, good. No, no, but I'm sure that you will be fully transparent, and you've done oh, your. Oh, I'm totally this, <laughs> and he has nothing to say about us. <laughs> All right, so let's touch on your friends, your family, their response, and then we can wrap it up.
3: Um, So friends and family, as I got older, I, in college, I decided that I didn't want to tell anybody about my abuse because of my experiences with losing friends and having people, like, look at me horrified and then realizing they didn't want to be around me. Or even, like, I remember this guy was interested in me, and so I was just, transparent and told him about a little bit of my past. And yeah, he wasn't interested after that. So this is kind of stuff like that. So it kind of shut me up a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I want people to get to know me. And just because these things happen to me, that's not who I am. I am not what has been done to me. I'm, I'm still a person. I still, you know, if you think I'm fun to be around and you like my personality and you enjoy our conversations, just because these things happen to me, doesn't, doesn't omit this truth of who I am right here. Yes. And so I don't want that cloud to come with me anymore. And I mean, God, even up until 2014, I lost one of my best friends. She told me that she was sick of hearing me talk about trafficking. She didn't want me talking about it around her anymore because it was a downer. And that <laughs> she only had fun with me when I was partying if I wasn't partying there wasn't much else to me because I apparently you know
1: you're too serious for her taste she didn't want to hear the truth apparently that's the problem
3: yeah and I I had to let her go so I mean if she didn't like being around me then I'm not gonna force you to be friends with me so (laughs) but I've gotten better at understanding that but on the flip side my friendships that I do have I have some awesome friendships some really great girls in my life that i've met that i adore and they mean the world to me and we have a lot of fun together and we have some really deep conversations together and i mean so i guess you can say that i've found my tribe
1: you have found your tribe and you want to talk about that about the work you're doing
3: with these girls sure so well
1: about my friends or about the girls that I've worked with? Oh, I yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going there. Yes, that's another thing. Because you said your tribe, and I thought, yes, that is true. You're working with these girls, and they're your tribe too. I mean, you're, you've developed some amazing friendships with these girls, and I also know that you had a very difficult thing happen recently, and I'm very sorry about that.
3: Yeah, um, so recently, um, a girl that I uh, became very close to She, her and I connected because we both had been abused as children and we both had similar stories with how our mothers reacted to our abuse. And so we connected on that level and I'm a little bit older than her. So I decided to adopt her under my wing as a younger sister. And she had a lot of questions that a lot of people couldn't answer for her. Like, you know, if you have nightmares about being raped or if your body responds a certain way to these horrific memories and what does that say about you? And instead of beating yourself up and reliving that trauma and, you know, beating yourself up over the possibility that you could even respond in the way that you do, recognize that our bodies were trained at a very, very, very young age, essentially biologically, to respond to certain circumstances. And it doesn't say anything about who we are as a person. That doesn't reflect me. I don't want my body to respond that way. Why does it respond that way, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think that once you're able to recognize trauma and separate yourself from that and see it as more of a, 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 a I guess, more of like a biological aspect of what happens yeah. to you that been abused, Suddenly the shame that I had when I was much younger is gone. Like I'm no longer ashamed. I can recognize, you know what? My body responds this way because I didn't know any other way to respond at the time. And um, And that really is helpful when someone else who is 21, 22, where you once were going through these very similar experiences and she's still struggling with understanding why her body responds that way. And when I can say, hey, I was there, I used
1: to have those problems too. and I'll Actually, tell you- I bet you probably didn't even make her feel like it was a problem, which is even better, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. just to let her know I, this is part of the process. This is not, doesn't make you a bad person because your body responds that way. Absolutely. And
3: so it was, yeah, exactly. It was kind of like, look, it's okay that your body responds that way. I know you, you hate it. I hate it too. But recognize that while I do believe, like, for myself personally, I'm still, I still have nightmares and dreams. I don't know if it's a life sentence that my body's always going to be this way or if I, while creating new memories, um, being in my marriage will eventually cause those old memories to go away. I'm not sure. I haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. But I do know that I am not as tortured as I was back in my 20s you know, like, then it was intense, far more intense. And so there, there is a process of healing. And I think even in me being able to release and understand that I, that there are certain things that bring up memories, like your body stores memories of how to react in those, you know, uh, flight or fight. Yes. Scenarios. Once you can recognize that, then I think that's when healing starts to happen. Mm And so it was awesome for us to even sit down to be able to talk about something like that because I understood what she was feeling. I understood the guilt that she was experiencing because she was trying so hard to heal. Like she wanted essentially to purify herself. Like that was her goal.
1: Now you were doing, you were working at a um, nonprofit. Is that how you met her?
3: Yeah, I met her through a nonprofit that I was working at where they rescue and rehabilitate minors that are survivors of sex trafficking. And she had gotten out of a program, so I was interviewing her. And after the interview, we sat down and had more of a one-on-one talk of, hey, I totally know where you're coming from. Let me explain why. And it was, you know, we just clicked. Yeah. And so she wanted, she never finished high school, so she was being encouraged to get her GED, so she got her GED, and nobody was there, and so I drove 90 miles to see her, to take her out to dinner, to celebrate her, and, you know, just things like that, anything that I could possibly do, just to let her know that I was cheering her on, and I was looking forward to seeing her success, because I really felt like her story was just beginning, and, um, and anyway, so she lost her life uh, a few weeks ago. And it was very difficult to hear because I had just spoken to her not too long ago. Yeah.
1: And, um, and I still don't know exactly what happened and it's was being investigated, right? So.
3: She was in a, a car accident and it's under investigation. Yeah, yeah. It was a passenger and I don't know what happened I'm trying not to assume what happened and it's just
1: um it's a tragedy however you look at it. I hope you get some answers. I hope uh, does she have anybody did she have anyone other than you that would have cared to get to the bottom of this?
3: Uh yeah so she was working on restoring her relationship with her mom. Oh my gosh her mom must be devastated. So yeah I'm in
1: communication with her mom and I Okay. So, but with the work that you've done at this organization, you have probably also met other girls and made a difference in their lives. And I'm sure that has helped you heal more, even more. Oh, yeah. Was,
3: the thing <laughs> is what hurt people hurt people and heal people heal people. So when you are going through healing, part of the healing process is helping other people find their healing as well. And so I, I love that part of it. I also, I guess because I look uh, a little bit younger than most of the people that worked there, uh, the girls felt more comfortable around me. I felt like I could relate to them. And so there was a little bit more transparency even there, you know, they wanted more of a camaraderie and a friendship. And so, yeah, it could be the big sister type, so to speak. Uh, also, I mean, I used to go to the, the projects quite frequently and, uh with my mom, and we developed a lot of relationships with the families there. And all, all, not all of the girls, but several of the girls would open up to me about their abuse, because they knew, again, what I had been through. And so once, once you know, you want to talk about it, I've had a few people that have seen my film, and a common reaction that I'm getting now is, which is shocking me and surprising me, men too are coming and telling me about their abuse from their childhood and that they, you know, and
1: yeah, and it like creates this environment where it's okay to talk about it now. You need more of that. I remember, do you, you're all younger than me, so I don't know if you know about it or if you remember Oprah's, when she did that episode where she made it okay for men, it was a discussion about sex abuse of men. And mm-hmm. it was so powerful and, it, and it, I felt like it, it gave men permission in that moment to start d- creating a dialogue because men, for some reason, they're just not like us. They, they eternalize they, they keep everything inside and that also can create, re- that can create that chain. Then they become ab- abusers because they haven't processed what happened to them. So that's, that's wonderful that your film is creating that kind of a dialogue.
3: Yeah, that's Probably one, one of my favorite parts so far is just that when people have watched it, uh, a, a shocking reaction that I have is they need to process it and talk about it. and the part of processing the film is talking about what's happened to them. And so it turns into like really deep conversations afterwards.
1: Do you have any plans to start a I'm so sorry. Were you Do have any what? I was wondering if you have any plans to start a nonprofit? Because it would be a wonderful thing to go hand in hand with the work you've done and the people that you've met.
3: Um, well, I have, through my family, we have a, a production company and I would love to do something with that. So we'll see. But I guess I want to see where the life of this film goes first. And But yeah, I have a lot of ideas for mm-hmm. It doesn't end here.
1: Uh, Oh, no, you're just beginning. You are just beginning. I can feel it. I'm so excited for you, and I'm seeing so much success on your Facebook page I've been following. And, of course, you also had given me a bio, and I I know you want to talk a little bit about the success of the film, but beyond what people are saying, you personally, you're also getting a lot of accolades from the film festivals that you've entered into.
3: Yeah, so, so far, every film festival that we've gotten into, we've won at, which I don't even, I'm not even expecting to win. I just, Hey, if we can get, you know, an official selection, that's good for me. And we're not getting official selections. We're getting winner, 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 winner. And I'm very shocked about that because there is a part of me that's like, who cares about our story? And and uh, and I will say that in the United States, it's a little bit more difficult at the film festivals. I've gotten a few rejection letters with "this doesn't fit fit our agenda for the year,"
1: at the festival. And the word agenda just blows my mind that they would even use that word. I've I've gotten two <laughs> rejection letters that use the word agenda.
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> have you ever asked them what is your agenda? No, <laughs> so I I guess a part of me just accepts. I'm like, of course you have an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> child abuse <laughs> so That's it's just crazy. recognizing sex trafficking in our country so well I, I think that, I'm sorry well, our film does not point fingers at anyone specifically it's just us sharing our story this is my mom's story and this is my story and we it's just anybody who wants to give us the opportunity to have a voice to speak and hear what we have to say, like this is our story, and so it is a little crazy to me because if you've ever wondered, you hear read the stories about young children who've been sexually abused. What would they say if you could give them a microphone and let them speak? Well, this film is is that I am a child that was horrifically abused sexually from a very young age. Um, I have memories of burning while I'm peeing uh, when I'm three, four years old. I have, you know, uh, I don't have a memory where I didn't know what sex was. Like that doesn't exist for me. Like I've always known. And so if you want to hear from a voice of that child, well, here's the film. I've directed it, I've produced it, and we're in it. And nobody is controlling what we have to say this is our voice
1: so and your voice is giving other people permission to find their voices and that's a wonderful thing you know and also in the process of of healing and showing you're actually showing people how to actually go through that healing process with you know with someone close to you it's i actually think it's a good roadmap to uh, it's a brave one because most people wouldn't do it, but you went there. I mean, you like physically went there too. Not just emotionally, but you physically went there. There might've been some kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my what gosh. <laughs> so what's, what is next for you? Like, Oh, you are trying to get this film distributed. What, what, where, where are you in the process of this film? We're just
3: going to film festivals right now. I want to get it screened. I was hoping to have the experience of being in a theater but again covid is making that a little bit more difficult. Oh my I, gosh.
1: I would I think of that.
3: I would love the opportunity to be with the audience and see their reaction and I don't know if I'm going to get that or not because of covid. I know that I would have had it and it hasn't happened yet. Can they,
1: can they arrange for you to do a virtual um, Q&A with, the, with people who have seen it?
3: From what I understand, um, I have two screenings coming up. At the absolute latest, it'll be in November, and once I get more information from the festival, uh, then I'll post it and share so people can actually do the screening that way. I don't know if they're going to have a Q&A or not. I would love for QA. to be and I
1: know. I love Q&As. I used to be, you know, I worked as a manager for actors and sometimes when they were in films, I would get invitations to the, pre- the pre-screen so that you could sit and it's just so fascinating. I love the Q&A sessions.
3: Oh, yeah. And I I can't wait for you to even see the film because I'm trying to like, again, only give you nuggets because I don't want to tell you everything. So, oh, oh my gosh.
1: I can't How much? So how can I see the film? Do I have to wait? What's the, where can we find this film? <laughs> well, right now it's th- going through festivals, but yeah. If anybody
3: out there has any connections with distribution companies, yeah, I'll, I'll distribute it. So well, I'll, so
1: I'll the thing. I don't do you think Hollywood really wants to distribute these films? Like, are you going to have to, can, will you be able to go mainstream? Where, where do you think you're going to find your, you know, I'm, I'm sure John Paul will, will be a good um, person for you to find because I know he went through the same thing with a child's voice.
3: I think it really deals it. It's all about whose hands it gets into.
1: Yeah. So Pray on is, that.
3: It's going to have to impact the right person. And honestly, if it gets into the hands of a person that hasn't dealt with maybe some of their own abuse or if they're an abuser, they're not going to want this film to
1: especially if they're abusers. Yeah. So
3: I I have no doubt that if I get into a festival or I submit to a festival and the wrong person sees the film that I'll get a rejection right away. Yeah. So because it it touches on topics that some people don't want to talk about at all and it makes you uncomfortable
1: and the Masons is one of them. When you mentioned that, I didn't elaborate, but you just, I mean, that's one of the things that people say, ah, that's just a conspiracy. Well, we have someone now, and now did your grandfather do, do that to you? Did he ever bring you to the church?
3: No. I, you know? oh, my grandfather, I, he wasn't around very much. He's passed away, uh, but my mother was trying to restore her relationship with him before he passed away. And so he would come around and he was a very um, magnetic person. He had a magnetic personality. The thing about the Masons is, again, I'm not making accusations against, against Masons. All I'm doing is sharing my mom's story. Yeah. So I'm sharing what happened to her. And if people want to take that to mean whatever it is, that's fine. There are bad churches mm-hmm. and there are bad priests Christ. and bad Yeah. Pastors. And I don't know how deep it goes. I will say that my mother does have some very strong opinions about Freemasonry and because of her experience and also some women that we've worked with that have come out of it as well. Yes. So, um, but our film's not making those accusations. We're just talking about what happened to her. That's smart, that's how you have to do it. (laughs) But I will say that um, when I was a teenager, we took in a woman who was also abused in a Masonic temple and had much, much worse stuff happened to her than what happened to my mom. And um, she had a multiple personality disorder. And so she would turn into different people. And uh, she lived with our family for a short time and she would cut herself. And I remember that she used to be at the top of our stairs and would spill her blood all over the stairs. And, you know, just- that
1: what we saw in the, in the trailer? No. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't talk about what happened to her. Okay. Cause I saw some blood in the trailer and there was a scene in the shower. Was that you? The, well, it is, that was an
3: actress that did a recreation but there is a scene with me in the shower as well.
1: Okay, <laughs> I can't wait to see this film. So you need distribution. <laughs> and so if anybody wants to donate, right, to help you get funding to get this to more festivals so that you can get more distribution, is that really what's where you're at right now? Yeah,
3: so obviously the, I don't need any more funding to finish the film, film's done. I do need help with getting to festivals though. So, yeah. and also with marketing. So it it costs money to create materials and so on and so forth. So if anyone wants to help with the possibility of me getting to distribute it or market it or so on and so forth, you can donate on our website, which is www.honeychildfilm.com. Or you can go to uh, the International Documentary Association, which is where we have our 501c3 status from, which is www.documentary.org. And you can search for the film another child and uh, our I believe our number is three eight six one okay and for our film yes so you can donate on there if you want to get you know a tax write-off and okay.
1: yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I, I know <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that I include the links for all of that stuff um, in the description and is there any anywhere else we can find you? Uh, I know you get a Facebook page. Same thing, right? It's Another Child on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook
3: is Another Child Film. Our handle on Instagram is Another Child Film. I, if you want to follow me, I'm uh, my handle
1: on Instagram is Leanna Swingler. So I'm gonna go back one more one more question before we wrap up. Honey, Child, is that the name of the song your mom wrote?
3: Yes. So originally. The film was called Honey Child because my mom sings a song. Well, she didn't write it. Okay, so when she was living in the brothel in Florida for her 17th birthday, one of the girls there wrote her a song for her birthday. And it's not. it was never written down anywhere. She just remembered it. And the very first time that I interviewed her, she was like, oh, yeah, this girl sang me a song. I was like, well, do you remember it? And she remembered it perfectly verbatim like it just flowed as though not a day had passed by and i was so blown away by the song one of the words that was in the song was honey child and so i was like we should call this film honey child yeah and so that's what we went with for a long time but then as the film progressed and went along and moved forward we realized that as the film was transforming the title should probably reflect that as well. Mm -hmm. And my mom also wrote another song called Another Child. And we felt that that might have reflected the new direction with the film. I, however, am not against making a sequel called Honey Child (laughs) (laughs) with all of the other expert interviews that we have, because I do have a whole bunch of expert interviews in the vault. Um, You should definitely do something with those. Yeah. I have them and I haven't thrown them out They're They're sitting there waiting and they're amazing and insightful and fabulous. And wow. there's some stuff too. So we'll That's see wonderful. If, can't. if this film does really
1: well, maybe that can help catapult me into the next one. Oh, I feel it. I know you're going places. I'm very excited for you and I'm really honored to have you today. And I'm just, just so grateful to John Paul for introducing us. Um, so thank you so much, and I will uh, keep in touch. Please okay. let me know if there's anything I can do. Um, I, we can talk about that afterwards because I do some marketing. So, okay, know.
3: yeah. Just, um, <laughs> I guess,
1: um, share,
3: share, share, especially yes. get some more buzz around us. Definitely. So.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah.
3: It's definitely yeah. starting. I feel like it's such a weird time to come out with the film, and at first I thought to myself that it was a bad time to come out because of the coronavirus. But now with everything else that's going on in society with all
1: of these allegations and Epstein. Yeah, and today, and well, I don't want to date the, the interview, but we just found out she's not getting bail. Very good yeah. stuff.
3: So it's almost like maybe in some really strange way, like this – was like the ordained time and this film was created to come out as for such a time as this and this is our time and i don't understand it because if i had like done it my way this film would have been done in the first year (laughs) um i'm just like i really just feel like things happen for a reason and i'm really thinking right now with the climate and how things are happening, that maybe there's a reason why our film's coming out right now.
1: I know there is. I know that I, I truly believe there's a reason for everything. So I no doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. So thank you again. And, um, and keep us, keep a, keep in touch.
3: Yeah, you too. So I'm, I'll, uh, be following the scene story as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, then God
1: bless. Have a good day
3: they're too young to understand so we
2: can all just pretend we don't need to talk about it what they don't know won't hurt them another child I wish you just love me back around me I wish you just loved me